This episode is sponsored by our friends with the Sharp Mortgage Team. You know the weather's getting warmer, but the triad real estate market is hot. If you've been waiting for more homes to hit the market and better rates, now is the time to reach out to the Sharp Mortgage Team with Highlands Mortgage. It's important to have a conversation with mortgage pros before you shop for a home so that when you find the house you love, you'll be ready to make an offer. Call them today, 336-575-9448, or you can visit their website at sharpmortgageteam.com to talk to a member of their team. Don't wait. The summer home buying season is already underway. So again, 336-575-9448 or sharpmortgageteam.com. That's sharp with an E at the end, sharpmortgageteam.com. Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in to this latest episode of In Harmony with Piedmont Opera. It's been a little while, we've taken a little bit of a summer hiatus, and that's only natural, but we picked a great opportunity to come back and jump back into your podcast feed with another terrific episode. Today we are visiting with John McKeever. He is the uh, he has conducted several operas here with the Piedmont Opera. Officially, he is the assistant conductor with Piedmont Opera. And so we're here to discuss all things about being a conductor, working with Piedmont Opera, classical music as a whole. Um, so John, welcome to the podcast. Tell us, tell me one interesting thing that you've done so far in, in this summer, even though it's still relatively early in the summer. Ooh, well, thank you for having me. Uh, let's see, this summer, I think the most interesting thing I've done has been uh, programming an entire new season of university concerts because I was preparing <laughs> for a new job and everyone wants to know what we're going to do. So I've been picking out rep like mad. Yeah. Okay. So let, let's go ahead and, and address the elephant in the room. You said you're, <laughs> you're getting ready for a new job, so you will be soon departing Winston-Salem, correct? That is true. I'm sad to say it, but I am leaving Winston and Piedmont Opera to uh, start a new job as the director of orchestral activities at the University of Missouri. All right. Well, uh, I know that's going to make a lot of people that are listening very upset to hear, but congratulations on, on your new opportunity. Uh, so we'll, we'll We'll treat this a little bit as a, a farewell here at the end and talk about some of the things that you'll miss most about this area. But let's begin where things truly began for you in terms of this path toward a role of being a conductor and getting involved in this area of the performing arts. Where did your musical journey first originate? My musical journey first originated with my mom, who was very adamant that I take uh, piano lessons growing up as a child. But I'll skip forward a little bit and, and start with my journey towards being a conductor because that's strongly related to Piedmont Opera. Uh, I came to Winston-Salem to get an undergraduate degree in double bass at the North Carolina School of the Arts. And while I was there, my orchestra director was Jamie Albritton, our mm -hmm. artistic director. His name comes up, I think, in every episode that we've done. I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but... <laughs> you know, he, he's kind of an impactful person around here. Yes, he here. is. <laughs> um, so by about my sophomore year of undergrad, I knew that bass wasn't going to be able to be my future musically. It was just, it was giving me too many back problems, quite frankly, to, mm. to play the instrument. So I was looking for something else to do. And um, my teacher, Paul Sharp, convinced Jamie to let me try conducting. Okay. Um, 
Jamie was pretty adamant that this was a terrible life choice for me and figured that the best way to convince me that becoming a conductor would be a, a, a huge mistake would be to have me be his assistant on one of the operas at School of the Arts with the, with the Fletcher program. I think it was The Merry Wives of Windsor was the first opera I assisted him on. And um, his plan could not have failed more spectacularly. I absolutely fell in love with being a conductor. And uh, that had to have been 2011, I think, was that. Uh The following year was the first time I worked with Piedmont Opera in 2012 for our production of Carmen. Uh, I served as his assistant conductor because I just wouldn't go away. I would not stop bothering him about more opportunities. And he needed some help because there's a big offstage chorus at the end of Carmen. So I ended up uh, first participating in the parade as a super with a, uh, I think I was a picador, uh, full costume and everything, and then going straight off stage to conduct the chorus at the, the end of the show. And... Uh, yeah, I've, I've basically been keeping in touch with Piedmont Opera ever since. So, so Jamie has this plan to say, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna teach this this young buck that he he's gonna just have to learn on his own why he shouldn't do this, and it's going he's gonna do this, and it's going to go poorly, and he's going to dislike it very strongly. Absolutely. And you get up there, and what is it about it that makes you love it? Well, I mean, I should say, you're right. That absolutely was his plan. And it did happen. It did go poorly. And I was terrible. <laughs> and it, everything was awful. But there is just... For me, coming as a bass player, musically, I always wanted to be more connected to things. Not to say there's anything wrong with being a bass player, but your role is very important and very fundamental. Mm-hmm. You don't get a lot of the fun stuff. And I always wanted to be more connected to all of the musical aspects. When you're a conductor, you are in charge of all of the musical aspects. And I think there's something particularly about opera because it's not just your symphony orchestra, these people in front of you in the kind of perfect performance environment. You're dealing with live theater and you're Mm -hmm. trying to coordinate people on stage with people in a pit to make sound in a hall that's like three different rooms and there's anything that could happen. And that challenge was just exhilarating to me. And it's uh, it's been like a terrible drug hooking me ever since. (laughs) When you say that it did actually go poorly your first time that you got up there to conduct... What happened? Let, let, let's hear oh some of the goodness. specifics. Let's go through some of these horror stories. Okay, so <laughs> I was working, let's see, from Merry Wives of Windsor. I remember, uh, you know, I never got to do performances or anything to begin with. It was always like conducting and staging rehearsals and very closely supervised by by Jamie and our fantastic accompanist, uh, Angela Ward, who would always ask Jamie every time before I started conducting. Now... Am I supposed to follow him or do I just do what I know I'm supposed to do? Because <laughs> pianists in, in an opera rehearsal in particular have a ton of power because they, they frequently know more than we do and can mm-hmm. just do what they know is supposed to be right or they can follow us. And uh, Jamie would always tell her to do what I was showing her. And I can remember one staging rehearsal where I don't actually think... I made a mistake. I think I was doing everything I was supposed to, but the singers ended up getting off 
And if that's the case, it's my responsibility to fix it. And I was just useless. I was just it up just there snowballed. flailing around. It snowballed. Like, yes, yeah. Yeah, there was nothing I could do to get things back on track. And we had to stop. <laughs> and it was, it was terrible. And then I remember the next year, we were doing um, La Rondine. Beautiful, beautiful Puccini opera. And there's a big dance number in the middle. And we had brought in professional dancers from Winston-Salem Festival Ballet, our, our frequent partners here. And um, I had never conducted dancers before. I had no idea. You know, it, with opera, the music functions with the language. I can at least understand the language. With dance, the language that you're following is their physicality of their movements. I had no idea how you follow dancers. And I can still hear Jamie just standing behind me as I'm conducting in rehearsal. You're late. You're late. You're behind. <laughs> They're waiting for you. You got to catch up. This is wrong. You got to catch up. You're late. You're behind. I was like, I have no idea what is happening. He's what late. do you mean I'm late? They're just moving around in a circle. This is the tempo. I don't understand. He's J.K. Simmons in Whiplash. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I think he was hoping it was those interactions that would ultimately push me away, but I'm just too stubborn. <laughs> So tell me how how it differs being a conductor for an opera versus a conductor for maybe a symphony or or strictly just conducting uh, musicians and instruments. But you're talking about dancers and you're talking about singers. And uh, tell us how how it really varies from from different platforms. It's really that element of live theater. Certainly orchestral performances are live and it wants to be an organic performance that can move in different ways from what you have rehearsed. But in opera, there are so many elements outside of the music that are outside of the music's control that you have to be accounting for, you know, something could go wrong with costumes in a, in a quick change backstage or the set could not have moved in the way we were expecting it to or the lighting cue isn't where you were expecting it to be so now you have to move around on stage there's all these elements that the performers are coping with and as the conductor you're doing your best to support them through all of these things um, and help them to get what they need from the music to be able to give a compelling performance. And you're really the only person who can evaluate that in real time because the musicians in the pit are certainly listening Mm -hmm. very intently to what's happening on stage, but they can't see. And it's the conductor who has all the responsibility to make sure that any adjustments that need to happen are happening because we're the only one who has as much of the information as any of the live performers can during a performance. And so is that why it's important to have a conductor and an assistant conductor? I mean, one person alone can't do this, right? For sure. I mean, certainly when it comes to the performance, there's little an assistant conductor can do other than pray. But through through the rehearsal process, um, assistant conductors are super valuable. You know, uh, here with Piedmont Opera, some of the things I've done as assistant conductor are uh, conducting offstage ensembles. It helps to have someone there to be the messenger between the conductor in the pit and the, the whoever is backstage playing or singing. Um, but the most valuable thing I do is once we get into the space, I become Jamie's ears in the house. Mm. Uh, and I listen to the orchestra. I listen to the singers. I take notes about balance. I, I help be a second pair if there are issues to deal with. Because particularly in the Stevens Center, great hall though it is, 
where the conductor stands is the worst place in the theater <laughs> for being able to evaluate the sound because the musicians are just blasting right up into your face and the singers are actually singing over the top of your head. So it's really hard in the conductor's chair to appropriately evaluate the sound. And so mm -hmm. you, you rely on people in the house to, to help give you a clear picture of what's happening. Hopefully something that'll get better with the renovation, I yes, guess. Yes, hopefully you, so. Yeah. Quick break from the show to get serious for a moment. In my serious voice. For real, though, it's time to get serious about your financial future. It's never too early, but it could be too late to get started. And that's oftentimes the hardest part, getting started. How much do I save? Where do I invest? Do I save for college or retirement? How much for each? And who do I talk to about it all? Okay, we'll keep things simple for now and help you answer the last one. We recommend you begin with a local financial advisor. And that's Jennifer Johnson of Three Magnolias Financial Advisors. She'll sit down with you for a complimentary introductory consultation and go over all of your questions. Get started on the path to achieving your financial goals. Visit 3magnoliasfinancialadvisors.com or call 336-701-1600. Get comfortable with your financial future. Three Magnolias Financial Advisors. Retirement, financial planning, and investments. Securities offered through Satara Advisor Networks, LLC, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Three Magnolias Financial Advisors. Three Magnolias Financial Advisors and Satara Advisor Networks are not affiliated. Satara is under separate ownership from any other named entity. Okay, so, so how is everything that you've done here with Piedmont Opera, how do you feel like it is... Uh, provided you the opportunity to be successful in, in this next venture of yours? Well, I mean, I have to start by saying Jamie has been an incredible mentor and teacher to me. Um, not only uh, helping to give me opportunities to grow and conduct, but also guiding me through the realities of this profession just mm -hmm. outside of the skill itself. He's been so fantastic. But because of that, I have had lots of opportunities that many conductors my age have not. I think, you know, it used to be back in the day, like the 1800s back in the day, if you were studying conducting, the road always went through the opera house. You always worked as an opera conductor before you ever got to be just a purely symphonic conductor. And that's not how it is anymore. Um, typically, you know, in the U.S., if you want to study conducting, you get a bachelor's degree in some sort of instrumental or vocal performance, and then you get a master's in conducting either in choral, wind ensemble, or orchestral. And those focuses are true to that element. So if you get an orchestral conducting master's, you are focusing on the symphonic lid, and it is not a given that you will deal with operatic repertoire. And so we've kind of lost that historical thread. And I think that's to our detriment because of all of those issues that I was talking about with the challenges of live performances that you face as a conductor. They really, I believe, make you a better musician and a better conductor and a more responsive conductor. When you're dealing with orchestral literature, when you get to the highest levels, you know, the, the New York Philharmonic does not need a conductor. Hmm. You could pretty much put any piece in front of them and they'll be able to play it. Now the conductor comes and offers opinions and shapes things and make choices that make each performance unique and different and special, but you could put those musicians on the stage without a leader and they would give you a great performance. Hmm. 
I don't think as amazing as the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra is, arguably the best orchestra in this country, I don't know that they could play any of those pieces without a conductor because it's so hard to be able to know what's happening on stage and to make sure that all those things are coordinated. You know, it's not just start and we go to the end. Mm -hmm. it, it, it has to flow with the performance. Yeah. And so I think it's, it's those skills that have served me to get where I am now entering a, a position uh, as an orchestra director, but also I'm, I'm going to be having to conduct opera out in Missouri. So I, I, I have tools that a lot of people don't. Very versatile. Yeah, no doubt. So along the topic of challenges that you were getting into there, classical music uh, really as a format uh, faces challenges. And we've asked this question a lot related to opera, but building a younger audience, right? Mm -hmm. Generational um, relevance. How would you get people who have never listened to classical music to, to come to see an opera or a symphony? It's so tricky because there's so there are so many false preconceptions about what an operatic performance is. And so I think once we get them in the door, you're either going to love it or you're not. And it's not for everyone. I will fully confess that. It's like any other form of music. We don't all love rap. We don't all love country music. We don't all love heavy metal. It, it is for those who love it. But it doesn't have the baggage that I think people associate with it. So what... I try to sell people on when I talk about opera is the fact that it is possibly the greatest form of dramatic storytelling that we have as a artistic medium. Hmm. It, the way a good opera takes music and story and combines them to just pull at all of your emotions, I really don't think there's a better medium out there for it that sure there are lots of movies there are lots of shows that are very very compelling but there's something about that live theatrical performance of opera that to me is the most impactful so how do we convince people to come and try and experience that it's tricky i think you know for so many of us at least for my age cartoons were kind of the first way that we got introduced to bits and pieces of this music. I think about the old Looney Tunes cartoons. Fantasia. Fantasia for sure. And I think it's at that age that you need to start hearing this music to, mm -hmm. to be able to be interested in it. And so I think the work that um, we do as opera companies and as uh, uh, music schools getting out into the schools at young age and showing them what it is that we do, I think that's the best possible way to get people hooked. You know, the the invited dresses that Piedmont Opera does for student orchestras or student audiences, I think that's great. And I have seen so many people who come to those performances, young people seeing their first opera, who just leave absolutely shocked and stunned and awed by what it is that we're doing. It seems like that's where we need to catch them hmm. because, you know, you get older, life gets more complicated. Yeah. It's hard to find the time. I get it. It's, there's a lot of pressures of being an adult in this world. I feel them on a daily basis. But I think when you're young, if you can find that spark of excitement, there are a few things like this out there. You mentioned the word baggage, and I'm curious to know what you feel are some of the misconceptions about um, 
what people might expect to see and hear if they experience a performance like this? I think one of the, even setting aside what it is that's going to be happening on stage for opera and for orchestral, really all forms of classical music, I think there is still this conception that there's a level of decorum from the audience that is scary. Like you have to be dressed very fancily mm-hmm. and you have to know when it's appropriate to clap and you're not allowed to move or talk or, or do anything that could disrupt the performance of your audience members. And okay, there are some people in our business who do feel that that is important. But for me, nah. I mean, if we look back historically, opera houses were basically casinos and people were coming and going. They were drinking. They were having a good time. There was gambling. There was a lot of things going on at these performances. That's why they were performed so many times in a row because you would come in and you would see part of it. Then you'd go out and then the next night you'd come back, you'd see another part. Like, you know, there, there's this, this tradition of sitting still and watching a show in silence very formally is a relatively recent development. And I think it's just, there's, there's no reason. Mm-hmm. We're there for a story. It doesn't matter what you're wearing. If you liked what just happened, you should have a response to it. And you should feel free to have that response. If that's clapping, if that's cheering, whatever that is. If that's a gasp, if that's going, holy cow, did you see that? That's okay. That's what we're going for. Yeah. And I think that we just need to do everything possible to make our audiences feel like you have come to us for an experience, whatever experience you have is valid and encourage people who would uh, disapprove of that to stop. Just relax. It's opera. We're here for a good time. I want to take a quick break from this show to do two things. One, we'll say thank you for listening and supporting the Triad Podcast Network. Just listening to this episode is appreciated. Second, I want to ask that you support a local business that supports us as a presenting partner a real estate company we trust, the Ginther Group, located in Winston-Salem. Right now, in the spring, the housing market is moving fast. You need someone you can rely on to assess your situation, read the data and trends, and steer you in the right direction. Interest rates, inventory, new construction, there are so many factors that impact our local market. Don't buy into the national internet headlines. Get the information from the folks right here in our neighborhood. Contact Blake Ginther and the Ginther Group today. Whether you're buying or selling, have cash or not, or if your home isn't in the ideal condition for selling, chances are they have a solution for you. Call 336-283-8689 or visit theginthergroup.com. Buying, selling, investing, or just learning, whatever you need. Start now and, like me, you can become a Ginther Group client for life. This this wasn't opera, but I recall going to a uh, to a show with with my wife, and there was a production of Dreamgirls okay. that we went and saw. And I remember, I think I had on, I think I was wearing shorts, and that we were on vacation. We were in Florida, and so we were dressed for vacation. And most of the clothes we packed were warm weather clothing. And so we we went to this performance and. I think I was wearing shorts and a collared Mm t-shirt. And I remember sitting in the car with my wife and saying, I feel like I'm underdressed. And, and then I walked inside and the atmosphere was just very welcoming and casual. And there were other people that were, you know, I was, I was cautious of it. And I was trying to look around and say, am I the most underdressed person here? And then, you know, you get inside and, 
you don't think about those things anymore. No. I just, I know that I was sitting down and I had something to drink and I was comfortable and yeah. I just settled in and watched a good story. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And I, you know, I'm so glad that uh, ultimately that ended up being an experience where you weren't concerned about what you were wearing. I want to get us to the point where that thought didn't even cross your mind. Right. Because it so shouldn't be necessary. You know, I'm, uh, I grew up in Alaska. Uh, I grew up playing with the symphony and going to symphony concerts in in Anchorage all the time. Alaska formal is pretty much everyone else's very, very casual. Mm -hmm. And that's the environment I grew up in appreciating music. It did not change the impact the music had for me because the clothes don't matter. You're there for the story. Be there with your fellow people enjoying the story. It doesn't matter what you're wearing. Yeah, well, and and you talk about... Um, when people would go for the original versions of opera decades and decades ago, uh, people, the, what people wore, it's like, that's, that's also what they wore when they were sitting down to dinner with their family. Right. Like, yeah, that's not what we do anymore. I mean, heck people go to work now wearing shorts and t-shirts. Yeah, and absolutely. And so, yeah, I, I think that's a really good point in terms of making sure that people don't have to walk in there and, and try to be someone that they're not. Yeah. It's, and I think, you know, the crazy thing is, I can't think of an opera company that I have worked for or that I have worked with or that I have been to a performance of where that is the expectation. It is just purely this cultural construct that mm-hmm. is absolutely false. And I think we've yeah. got to do whatever we can to, to dissuade people of that opinion. So one thing we haven't touched on yet is you, you've mentioned that you're heading to Missouri. You grew up in Alaska. Um where else have you been around this country <laughs> or outside of this country? So it's, it's mostly been in this country. So I, yeah, I grew up in Alaska and then I came here to North Carolina specifically to study with Paul Sharp, the bass teacher at School of the Arts, because he's also from Alaska. So mm-hmm. I grew up knowing his teachers and, and his family um, and stayed here for quite a while. I've also lived in uh, Colorado. I went away from Piedmont Opera for about three years to do a, a doctorate in orchestral conducting at the University of Colorado Boulder. Um, and then you know, graduated kind of into the pandemic. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a ton of opportunities because, you know, <laughs> plague. Uh, yep. you know, came back to Winston and, and came back to Piedmont Opera. Yeah, getting involved in live performances during during COVID. Not, not ideal. It was a tricky time. <laughs> so then, uh, Dr. McKeever, yes. what is your dream piece of music to one day conduct? Oh, my goodness. What a great question. I mean, it's a it's a not insignificant list of pieces. But if I think about operatic pieces that I am dying to do, there are two that immediately jump to my mind. So one is The Marriage of Figaro, which Piedmont Opera is doing this coming season. And I'm very, very bummed that I'm not going to be able to work on that show. I'm hoping I'll be able to get back to see it because, I mean, the tidbits I'm hearing about the cast are really, really exciting. Um, but another piece that I would absolutely love to do is Britain's Peter Grimes. It's just a unbelievably powerful piece, amazing mm-hmm. music, and a, a piece that I've loved for a long time that I would love to get the chance to do. Well, we hope that you are able to at least make it back for, for that upcoming performance from Piedmont Opera. Um, what are some of the things about Winston-Salem that you know that you will miss the most? Oh man, I mean I'm I'm very much going to miss this beautiful house that we're sitting in. Mm-hmm. Um listeners probably won't know this but actually uh when I came back from Colorado, uh I got married 
and I got married in the opera office, and Jamie was the officiant of my wedding. Uh, So there's a lot of personal memories here that I'm definitely going to miss. Sure. Um, I'm also, you know, I have such strong relationships to this company and to the School of the Arts and to all the little things that make Winston special, you know, being able to go catch a movie at Aperture, grab a a great coffee at Camino, all of these Mm. lovely little small Winston things are, are going to be the things I look forward to seeing when I come back to visit as uh, often as I plan to. Yeah. Um, Some of the performances that you've enjoyed working on while you've been here, things that stand out. Well, I mean, so this last season getting to be the conductor for um, Holy Cow, Don Pasquale, Mm -hmm. wow, the name of the show, I did just escape me for a second, (laughs) um, was a truly fantastic experience. Um, And going back to my first show, Carmen, was a remarkable uh, experience to be able to work with that cast and work with those amazing singers and our crew and our orchestra and to get that first professional opportunity was really, really wonderful. How have you grown mostly since your first performance, live performance to this last one with Don Pasquale? Well, I mean, fundamentally, I'm a heck of a lot better. I'll just go ahead and say the the almost a decade worth of time. No, that's not true. The over a decade amount of time that has passed since that first (laughs) performance to now has has changed how I am as a conductor. But... um, you know, the other thing that 11 years does is it just uh, broadens your maturity and your approach. I think uh-huh. when I did Carmen, I was a junior in my undergrad program, which is exceptionally young to be in the kind of position of influence that a assistant conductor has. Um, and I don't think I did anything. I hope I didn't do anything incredibly stupid. But I certainly now have much more understanding of the importance of my role and the influence that I can have for uh, good and bad as yeah. an assistant conductor in, in these kinds of productions. Anything that you would like to leave the listeners and, and those that are so connected with the arts in Winston-Salem, anything you'd like to leave them with in terms of your experience and, and the importance of the arts in this community? I mean, we are Winston-Salem. We are the city of the arts. I think everyone listening to this podcast has an appreciation and an understanding for how valuable the arts are. I encourage you to find the people that you know in your life who maybe aren't as connected to the community as you are to take them to something. You know, the amazing thing about Winston-Salem is the number of opportunities we have to experience live art between uh, the Winston-Salem Symphony, but also, you know, symphonies in Greensboro, in Charlotte, and, you know, just all across the state. There's so much live classical music. There's so many operas between Piedmont Opera, Greensboro Opera, North Carolina Opera. There's so much theater. And then the amazing resource that the School of the Arts provides with the Fletcher program, with their orchestral performances, with their drama program. I mean, the, the plays and the movie screenings are amazing. And all of this ought to catch someone somewhere between the tremendous diversity of opportunities that we have here. So 
introduce someone to to mm. to something new because there aren't many places in in this country where you have the opportunity to see as much as you can see here and it would be a shame to live here and not take advantage of as much of it as you can. Very well said. Very well said. Uh, John McKeever, thank you so much for everything you've done here during your time with, with Piedmont Opera. We wish you all the best in Missouri and hope to see you back here for some future performances. Thank you very much. I look forward to being back soon. Thank you. Thank you.